Bonjour and bienvenue to Lulabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou and in this podcast, I will help you to keep your Frenchy vibes fluttering and help you lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode, we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France and right around the world and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. Francophilers can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Francophile Fix, where I'll post little movies and clips to keep us all connected to France. Find the link to the Francophile Fix YouTube channel in the show notes from today's episode, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles website, Instagram, and a fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist. Alors, aujourd'hui, my guest is an author, the editor of the Good Life in France magazine and website, and has lived in rural northern France for many years now. And I am so looking forward to picking her brain and finding out all about her story. Bienvenue to Little Bells Francophiles, Janine Marsh, ça va? Ça va, ça va bien. That's the only French I'm going to speak to you today, I promise. And uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on your show. And um, I am ready to have my brains picked. So oh, fire away. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, I love it when you come ready and waiting. That's fabulous. <laughs> now, Janine, I know a little of your story already from your writing, but I want to take you back a little bit further first before we get to that. Where did your love of France start? Oh, blimey. Um, well, Probably since I was born, because um, the day I was born, my mum was in hospital giving birth. My dad went to the the horse races in Brighton in, in oh, the UK, yeah. and he won 50 guineas. They were guineas in those days, yeah. which is like um, a, a guinea is a pound and a shilling. So he won 50 guineas on a horse called Janine. It was a French horse. No. And when he came home, he said, yeah, seriously. And he came, my poor mum, eh? So when he got <laughs> eventually came home after celebrating, he went to see my mum in hospital and the new baby, me. And then he said, we are going to call her Janine because she'll be a lucky filly. And my mum was like, no, no, I want to call her Ethel after my favourite auntie. So oh, <laughs> my dad no. won. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Oh, but, are you Janine Ethel or just Janine? No, I'm just Janine. Just Janine. And I'm happy with that because there's a TV show in the UK with a lady called Ethel who has a smelly dog. So I know what would have happened if I'd been called Ethel. Janine is fine. Yes, Janine is gorgeous name. And how lovely that he finally did go to visit your mother in hospital. She had the baby. He went to the races. I love it. Just the way it was back then. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have the men there. You can't have the men there when there's babies (laughs) going on. That's women's business. How funny. Did you travel to France growing up in the UK? Uh, not a lot. When I was 14, I went on a school exchange um, and stayed in a suburb of Paris, a place called Antony. And um, I went to school there and I learned a bit of French and, and it was a, an amazing experience. And it really instilled my love of French cakes because every night they do this thing in, in France where they have a, a goûter which yeah. is a snack. So generally French people don't really snack, but school kids are allowed to have a little snack before dinner because ah. lunch is at 12, dinner's generally seven or eight o'clock. So it's quite a long time for kids to go. Right. So when we finished school, half three, four, we were allowed to go to the baker's oh. and have a little snack, a little goûter. Oh. So that was it. Total and utter love for France from that very moment. So oh, yeah. I, yeah, that was I my get first it. experience. <gasps> oh, that sounds fabulous. A little goûter. I'm going to do that. I'm going to remember that. Okay. Yeah, you know, little sugary cakes, little donuts, anything like that to yeah. keep me going. And then the second time I went to France, I was I was eighteen, and um, I was working in McDonald's, 
Ah, in the UK yeah. to get myself through college. And um, I took the most money on my till one Saturday afternoon for burgers. And uh, I won a weekend in Paris. <laughs> get out, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So, oh, geez. If they were the prizes for, you know, being a good employee, I'm surprised that everybody wasn't there trying to get all the customers to come to their till and to do everything they could to be the best. Sadly, it was a one-off, but you know, right. it was okay. it was a great experience. Eighteen in Paris with my with my mate and just having fun. And I know I knew then that I really loved France, but I never really dreamed that I would ever live here. So yeah, it's funny know. where life takes you, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's fate, isn't it? Sometimes it, it just is. happens. So. Yeah, I actually really believe that. I read that you met your husband, Mark, when you needed a mechanic, when you had a bombed out car that needed some help, (laughs) and then he never left. Is that right? Yes, it's true. And that's fate again. I was, uh, oh, was I? Well, I was quite old. I was, uh, I'd been divorced for 12 years Mm -hmm. and I had a young son Mm -hmm. and uh, a big mortgage. Couldn't Mm -hmm. really afford very much. Couldn't afford holidays. So we didn't go to France at all and couldn't really afford a car. But a friend of a friend said that they knew someone who was getting rid of a good little car. It would do me, you know, do the job. Mm -hmm. And so I paid them the money for the car and then it never worked. So, and they said, oh, you just need to, you just need the car to be tuned up. So, I just went through the local <laughs> newspaper and found the first advert. Mobile mechanic does tune up. So I thought, oh, that'll do. Rang it up. And um, I spoke to a woman who said her brother would come around the next Saturday. And he arrived and we just looked. He, I just, even now, get goosebumps thinking about it. He <sighs> rang the doorbell. I ran down the stairs to answer the door. And he just looked at me and I looked at him. And it really was love at first sight. It was or lust, maybe. Yes. It was completely instant. And um, he came in and we chatted. He never fixed my car. He said it it was unfixable. Had to be, (laughs) had to pay to have it towed away in the end. Um, But he never, yeah, he never left. We we just, it was instant and that was it. Still together. 22 years later. Oh, oh, that's gorgeous. So it was just kapow and that's it. You're on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely. That's really lovely. Clearly meant to be. How did you and Mark end up living in France as you do now? Oh, well, that's a long story. Three books long. Oh, <laughs> well. In three... <laughs> well, the first, keep it to... maybe just the bit about how you actually decided <laughs> to go to France initially. Okay. Initially, um, sadly, my mum died and um, my dad was terribly bitter and angry and upset. And as a result, he drank a lot of whiskey. Right. And um, I just, oh, I didn't know what to do, but I thought that wine would be better than whiskey. I knew I couldn't mm. stop him because he was a cantankerous, rebellious man, yeah. uh, very stubborn. So it's no good saying to him, Dad, you know, please don't drink so much. Don't mm. Just don't do it. But he, he was never going to do that. So I decided that I would take him on a what we called a booze cruise, which was uh, a ferry from Dover to Calais yes. across the English Channel. Takes yes. about an hour and a half, so it's really easy right. from, uh, from London where we lived. Took him to Calais to buy wine. Yeah. And we bought wine. And then he said, okay, I'll, I'll take you out for lunch. It's me, Mark, and my dad, Frank. And mm. we looked for a restaurant. But by then, everything was shut because it was 12 o'clock. And in France, uh, two oh, o'clock, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And in France, everything shuts at two o'clock. So we were just, everyone was really miserable. It was cold, wet, sleep, horrible day. And we went past an estate agent's office where they were selling property. And, um, the estate agent saw us looking in the window because we were just like mooching around and he offered us a cup of coffee. So we went in and had coffee. He showed us his three cheapest houses. I was like, no, haven't got any money. He kept saying, how much many have you got? <laughs> haven't got any money. Don't want a house. 
But we had nothing else to do. So we looked at the three cheapest properties on his books, which all were less than a cost of a Hermes handbag. Oh. And um, I ended up buying one there and then. <gasps> wow. I know. Yes. How nuts is that, huh? Oh, no. Well, on my last holiday to France just this year, I dragged my husband Paul to go and look at a house that I saw on the internet earlier this year. I tell you, it took every ounce of of self-discipline to say, no, we live in Australia. It's a very long way. No, we can't do it. We can't do it. It took a whole lot of self-discipline and my husband dragged me away screaming and kicking to say no. But so I get it. I get, <laughs> I get how you could make that decision straight away. I think it goes back to that fate thing because when I looked at the house, it was really horrible. It looked like it was uh, a prison, in fact, because it had oh. these horrible stone, yeah, horrible like concrete walls around it. Oh. And it had nothing going for it whatsoever. But while I was standing there, this man came out. He said that he was English in the middle of nowhere in rural northern France. And he yeah. said, you know, can I help you? And I said, oh, we were just looking at the house, but we're just off now. We, you know, at that point, I had no intention of buying it. Mm. And he invited us in, but... As we went through the door, that on this disgusting weather day, the sun came out and this beam of sunlight just came down from nowhere and the church bell started ringing and there were ducks quacking in a garden down the road. And I truly felt that I heard fate at that moment and that's why I did it. So, Oh, my yes. goodness, I've got goosebumps. That's just amazing. That's a, definitely a sign, a sign that you were meant to be there. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So when you bought the house, it was in need of work, wasn't it? Yes. Just how, just how much work was it in need of? Oh. Well, I mean, the the original room at the house was just one room um, with one story. So it was a ground floor where the, the animals were kept, cows, pigs, that sort of thing. And then above it was the room where the, the people slept. And that was, that was just a very small room that was, the walls were plastered with mud and straw and probably oh, cow dung as well. Out. Really? Yeah. So it was, you know, it was just one room. But then over the years, that was about 400 years ago. And over the years, people just added rooms on <laughs> made out of concrete blocks, basically. Yeah. So it became, huge but it was all on different levels no one had really made much of an effort so and there were doors that were blocked up and there were windows into rooms it was it was a really bizarre combination there were holes in the roof so water leaked through oh, first time we goodness. walked in I yeah seriously first time I, we walked in I remember walking across the floor and my feet were going because <gasps> no. it was that damp yeah, really? yeah it was that damp did Some it have plumbing still had yes Yes, okay. we have um, what we call a faucetic, so you're not on mains drains. Right. Everything goes into a tank in the garden. Right, okay. Um, and and you can't drink the water from the tap. Oh, okay. So. It'll boil your water. Well, sometimes a cow falls into the reservoir. Oh, so. oh really? Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I know. Okay, alrighty. So, yeah. And what about power? Us. Did you have power when you first arrived? We did, but it used to cut out regularly and I was forever getting shocks if I was like, we didn't have TV, but we had a, a screen and a DVD player and I was forever getting shocks off the DVD player. Oh, really? So yeah, there was a lot to do. Some dirt floors still. Um, there were corrugated iron doors, you know, like farm doors that oh, would yeah, flap yeah. in the wind and none of the windows fitted. I would say there was a lot of work to do. Yes. It sounds like a mammoth job, but. I know that here in Australia, the, you know, the Chateau DIY series, it's a huge I hit do. here. And it seems that everybody that I speak to is dreaming of renovating their little piece of French history or their little rural idyll in France somewhere. So how have you found that process of going from what you're describing now, which sounds like it was quite rustic and very original, to what you're living in now, that process of renovating in France? 
well, I've got to tell you, 18 years after that first day I saw it, bought it, uh, we're still renovating. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're but, nearly done. With it. You know, the house is now habitable. We used to camp in it at first, <laughs> literally put up a tent in a room to keep the rain and the wind out. We cooked on a barbecue in the garden for, I think, four years because we didn't oh. have a kitchen. So, oh, really? Actually, yeah. that's a that's a funny thing with real estate in France. A lot of the places I've looked at, they don't have built-in kitchens. It's not something that they do. Or if they have a built-in kitchen, do they take it with them when they move to the next house? It, it just seem to be empty <laughs> rooms and they say, well, here's the kitchen. I go, where? That's just an empty room with a tap in the corner. That's such a fun question. And do you know what? You're absolutely right. Because if it's not listed on, on the documents when you buy a house, then they have oh. the right to take it with them. And I've heard of people taking light switches. <laughs> Seriously. Oh God, really? Taking light switches with them when they move. How nuts is that? Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. so you've really got to read the fine print thing because then perhaps nothing is a given that you're going to have it. If you see it there, you've got to check, I suppose. Absolutely yeah. everything. Um, when when we bought this house, there was a sheep in the garden. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, one of the neighbours had put a sheep in the garden, and because I hadn't specified that I didn't want the sheep in the garden, I ended up with a sheep for years. Oh, really? Because he'd established, yeah, he'd established precedent by putting the sheep in the garden. So you know, oh, actually, so- I was okay with it because. I grew to love it. So. Yes. But that could actually work the other way. Like neighbours that want to get rid of anything, they put it there when you buy it and, they, you know, it's yours. <laughs> you have to end up looking after anything the rest of them don't want. This is true. And and probably I was a bit of a dope and probably the, I could have pushed it with the sheep question, but I was happy to have it. But I would recommend that if anyone buys a place in France, they should just ask questions if there's anything yes. like, you know, sheep in the garden. Yes. So, I mean, I yeah. kind of like sheep, but yeah, I, I get you. Ask the questions. Yes. Probably a good idea. So you didn't really choose that area for you. In some ways, the area chose you because it's where you happened to be when you went for wine. Is that right? Or... I would absolutely agree with that assessment. Oh. I'd never been here before. I, I you oh, know, this really? is the far north of France. It's called Eau de France, which mm. is um, three departments, Nord, mm. Pas de Calais and Picardy. And mm-hmm. I live in the Pas de Calais department. Mm-hmm. My holidays had always been in Paris or in Charente, the Vendée area yeah. or the south of France. So I'd never mm. actually been to the far north. So no, didn't know it at all. Didn't look at anything. Didn't realise there were no shops or bars in the village. <laughs> mm. It was um a complete and utter acting on a whim would i recommend it to anyone else yes and no we were really lucky i absolutely love it i would never live anywhere else it's worked out perfectly but yeah you know probably not the best idea if i'm honest it sounds like a, a hard road but a very well worth it kind of experience in the end Yes, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. Um, there have been times when it's been really hard. You know, we've both had accidents doing the renovation. I've broken toes and fingers, dropping things. Mark's had horrible electric shocks doing the electrics. And we've had, let's say, strong debates about the way the house should be done. Yeah. Um, so, but <laughs> it, despite everything, there is nothing I would change. And it's been the most brilliant adventure. Yeah. Tell me about. What's that little corner of France like where you are? 
it's very rural. Well, my bit is. Uh, mm. Nord is more industrial and has the big city of Lille, which is beautiful, like a mini Paris. Mm. Picardy is also very rural, but it's it's kind of a suburb of Paris in some ways because it borders Paris. And, it, you know, lots of people live in Picardy that go to Paris. But my bit, Pas de Calais, has the Opal Coast, which is beautiful coastline, which runs right the way around from Dunkirk down almost to the border of Normandy. It's a uh, rural idyllic rural countryside it's very traditional very authentic and um, I, I would say this area is indelibly marked by the two world wars yes. and uh you know a lot of battlefield memorialism here like villas bretonneur where right. actually there's a school there that where they sing the australian I national know, anthem every I've morning yeah so this is a a really friendly welcoming place where people pay homage to those that that have helped them and the sacrifices that were made here and i think that makes it a very different place from the rest of france yeah i i would agree i found the people there to be just so beautiful and so welcoming when i went and took my family to villas britain or you know years and years ago now but um we we got there early in the morning and nothing was open and I couldn't believe there were Australian flags in the windows of just, you know, houses that were just in the village. And where you just talked about in that little primary school, there's a, a little museum, but also on the lunch shed, it still says, never forget the Australians for the kids. So they've kind of taught yeah. that to be grateful, you know, for, for the help they got from elsewhere. But there was a little cafe and the woman heard us talking outside the cafe because we worked out that it was closed and she stuck her head out and checked if we were Australians. And when we said we were, she said, oh, no, I, do, I open for you. I open for you. Come in, come in. And she fed us breakfast. She was just so gorgeous and so beautiful. And I thought these people, you know, it was really quite a plain little village. But the the love and the warmth that just exuded from her and from the other people that we ran into there, they, it just it it was quite overwhelming. Actually, it was beautiful, really beautiful place because of the people. That's, a, that's such a lovely story, mm. and yeah, I w- I would say it is that sort of place, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. <laughs> yeah, like real people, yeah. you know, not people that. Yes. There was no pretense. Just real people that really that wanted to connect and be grateful and I was I was so touched I I still get a bit funny about it when I talk about it was it hard I mean you know being around those beautiful people was it hard to make friends when you first got there or did they kind of welcome you yes and no I mean the French people are more private I find certainly than British people I mean you'd never get a French person come in your house and say oh can I have a look around (laughs) which is (laughs) I don't know if you do that in Australia but certainly in the UK if you meet new people and they come to your house it's pretty much the first thing that oh can I have a look around your house you would (laughs) never you would never get a French person doing that because they are quite private some people say they're aloof I don't find them aloof at all I just find that they're just not you know as outgoing as say Americans or British are But yeah, I mean, the first day we were here, our septic tank blew up. That that was fun. And so we had to make friends really quickly because we didn't have a phone. We didn't know what we were supposed to do. We didn't know where to go. So we went and knocked on a farmer's door and just said, help, what should we do? And he said, I will sort it out for you when I finish work. And he came and sorted it out. And it was a bit of a disaster, to be honest, because he pushed 
uh, blow instead of suck. And oh, then no. there was lots of screaming and shouting. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh, so no. And then it, it was lots of screaming and shouting as he was shouting at his assistant. And then another oh, neighbour came in to no. see what was happening. And then he, he went home and phoned his friends and said, you want to come and see the British have arrived and you want to see what's going on in their garden? Oh. And then we ended up with 18 people from the village of 142 people in our garden drinking beer. <laughs> Just like, that was it. It really, let's say, broke the ice straight away. And, yes. uh, yeah, we've made really good friends here now. So, oh, that's good. Yes. Well, were you fluent then on that first day when you arrived? No. no. Uh, I'd done uh, French at school so yeah. till I was 16. Mm-hmm. And then I spent French holidays and I worked in a bank when I was in London and got sent to Geneva quite a few times. So okay. I spoke a, a kind of French, but it was more a business French than anything else. It's yeah. definitely no good to you in a village like this. No. But what I found when I came here is they don't even really speak French here. They have their own patois. It's called a shti. Shti language. It's kind of, oh yeah, it's like a a kind of a Flemish language. So they have different words for everything. So chair in French is chaise, but in shti it's cayel. So so I have a, yeah, seriously, I have a shti dictionnaire. They have a a really strong accent. So you said to me when I came on, sava, but they would say shava. Shava. So it sounds a bit like they've had, you know, a couple of bottles of wine before yeah. they talk so <laughs> you meet them and they go shava shava le ciel est bleu so we will say sava sava the ciel est bleu the, you know hi, yeah. hi hi the sky is blue so <laughs> there's a film called bienvenue chez les Ch'tis, which ah. explains it all so i highly recommend it if you want a good laugh yeah. great film as well yeah uh france's biggest grossing film ever and that's all about where i live and after i watched that film i totally got where i was yeah. living and the whole language problem so yeah i would say i speak french well enough to travel all around france solo but um i wouldn't say i was perfect and i do have a shti accent now oh <laughs> so, do you oh that's quite yeah, funny. a little bit yeah well they'd be quite proud of you then in your village that you've got a shti accent yeah, they say I'm an honorary shti now, so, oh, that's and lovely. I'm proud of that. Yeah, oh, yeah, what a thing to be – I think that's wonderful. I think a lot of us would be thrilled to be considered like that anywhere in France. That's a, quite an honour. Now, when did you decide to write your first book about life in France, My Good Life in France? Well, I, I didn't really, but I – met a journalist in Paris. We were both uh, writing about an art show and she was working for the Financial Times and we got talking about how, you know, I gave up a really good job in a bank just as I was about to be promoted and I've worked 20 years to get get to that stage. And then Mark had persuaded me to give it all up and come to France to do up this old hovel. And um, she really liked my story. So she wrote about me for the Financial Times. And I, at that point, I just started the blog and it had just gone mad. I wrote the blog just for my friends, really, yeah. to, just to keep them up to date with what we were doing. And then six months later, I realised that 60,000 people were reading my oh. stories. <laughs> I know, it just went completely mad. And I to- I was telling her about this and so she said, well, we think you're an entrepreneur to watch. So she wrote about me for the Financial Times and then a publisher saw the story and she contacted me and said, we'd really like you to write a book about your your story. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So, yeah. of course, I said yes. And um, I've written two more books since then and I've just signed a contract with an Australian publisher yesterday oh. to write a book called How to Be French. So, Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, I, yes. And maybe a little bit of How to Be Shti in the middle of that. <laughs> That's definitely going to be a bit of shti in yeah, there. Yeah, a little bit of that. So with those next two books, 
and the magazine and the website and plus you've just started a podcast too. How do you find time for what I perceive your life to be like with a little bit of rural tranquility? How do you find time for that that we think accompanies the rural life in France? Oh, you mean like my so-called tranquil life in France? Yes. Yes. Um, Well, you know, I do live in the middle of nowhere. There are no shops. So I've had to learn to cook while I've been here. So that that's something I do with my neighbours. They give me cooking lessons. So, uh, you know, I spend time with them. I have uh, chickens, ducks, geese, cats. I have six cats oh, and dogs. Uh, six cats, mad, isn't it? But I, I used to have six cats and I still have four and two dogs in a tiny little house. So six cats to me and all of the ducks and geese and everything else you've got there just sounds like my <laughs> kind of heaven. Brilliant. Bring it on, I say. I do love it. And that forces me to stop because, you know, there mm. is a, a it's not all fun. You have to clean the chicken coops out once in a mm. while. And mm. But every day I go and see the chickens twice a day and collect the eggs and I take the dogs for a walk and all the cuddles. It's like cat zombie world here with a cat at every window all day Aww. long wanting cuddles. So that forces me to stop. And also I travel a lot because yep. obviously I like to write about where I go. So this year I've spent 12 weeks away from home in total, just travelling all over the Loire Valley, Corsica, mm. uh, Nice, Cannes, Antibes, just all over France. Yeah. So I, I do get a bit of a break. I wouldn't call it a holiday. No. Because my work. husband might listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's work. It's definitely but, work. <laughs> yep, that's what I tell him. Um, <laughs> while he stays home to look after the animals. But, yeah, so I do, I do get a break from it. And, you know, I'm an early riser too. I get up at five in the morning and I absolutely love what I do. So I don't really consider it a job as such. Tell me, do all of your animals get along? Do all your cats get along with each other? No. (gasps) Uh, Tigger. Tigger hates everyone mm. um, and she she chases Lulu around the house. Hank Marvin, he's always starving. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a, a bit of a pain. Sadly, we, we lost him quite recently, but oh. but he he loved everyone. He was the nicest cat. He had one eye and cat flu. All oh. of our cats have got pretty much something wrong with them. They're all strays. Uh, the dogs always have something wrong with them. Actually, I have a house guest at the moment. I forgot to tell you about Charlie the Hedgehog. <gasps> Oh, get out, really? How fabulous. <laughs> he was in the garden. Mark nearly ran him over with a, with a lawnmower and he was tiny. And then he oh. was trying to eat the chicken's food and he was clearly starving. And yeah. it was, you know, it's getting a bit late in the year. They should be hibernating. It's autumn here. Yeah. So we bought him in and fed him. And, and now he's... He's going to be here the whole winter because he's still too small to go out and it's getting a bit cold. So, Oh, yeah. so he's decided that you're his and he's staying with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes so. animals do that, don't they? They decide that you're going to be the person for them. You don't get to say, oh, yes, we'll, we'll have you come with us. The animal is the one who decides that they, they say, all right, yes, you'll do. And the animal picks you, not the other way around. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, all of our cats just turned up at the back door, really, and just sat there looking until until we give in and open the door and feed them. So, I mean, I have six house cats, but I also feed four of four other cats. But I'm not allowed to say I've got ten cats because my husband just freaks out. It's just yeah, like, ten yeah. cats, uh, yeah, well. ten cats. You've got enough <laughs> so. space. It's not like you don't have the space. I say the more cats you have, the happier the house. 
that's my mind. I agree. Mm. I agree. Living, you know, when I lived in London, I, I lived in a, a small house in the suburbs with a, a garden the size of a, of a postage stamp and could never have had an animal. So coming to France has changed me and my life in so many ways. And, you know, I never knew I loved animals before I came here. I couldn't cook. So my whole life has, and I'm, has changed and I am a different person as a result of it. And I'm really yeah. happy with that. Yes. Oh, yeah. How fulfilling. That sounds like a a wonderful change and one that clearly agrees with you. I think so. I'm I'm very very happy here. Uh, yeah. I would never go anywhere else. I mean, I go I go on trips all around France, and I ring my husband and I go, oh, I'm in the Loire Valley, and I really love it here. I'd love to live here. Or I'm in Burgundy. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'd love to live here. And he says to me, You do that everywhere you go. But when I come home, <laughs> I know I'm terrible. But when I come home and I open the gate and the dogs bark and the chickens are like, Welcome home. And, and I just and then my neighbours go past and they say, Oh, where have you been this time? You're so glamorous. Yeah, right. Just have to <laughs> clean the chicken coops now. I'm back, and um, this is home. This it yeah. feels like home, and that's worth much more than a villa in the south of France to me, or a chateau, oh, or absolutely. it's an old farmhouse. It's still being renovated, but it's home. Absolutely, yeah, beautiful. To get a break, and you've talked about you traveling for work, but to get a break when you actually do have a holiday, potentially with Mark or, you know, with other friends or whatever you do, do you holiday in France then or do you take your vacations elsewhere? No. Uh, well, I think we've been in France now for I think it's 10 years and we've had one holiday <laughs> yeah. together um, and we went to Brittany and we absolutely love Brittany and mm. uh we go to Paris sometimes and we spend the night in Paris but because we've got, I don't know, Sometimes we have 70 or 80 animals to look after. Not yeah. so many at the moment because I haven't been fulfilling my chicken addiction. I've been behaving myself. So, <laughs> yes, one, yeah. one year we had 52 ducks in the garden. When when the ducks went mad, well, I went mad and let them all in together and didn't think about the consequences and 52 ducklings hatched. So, you know, it's really hard for us to get away on a holiday together. And because of COVID, the kids couldn't come out and babysit for us like they usually do. So so we don't get many holidays. But if we did, they would absolutely be spent in France. Well, it's, it's good that yeah. you live there then because it's like your your life is one big long holiday. I shouldn't say that because it's not. You've got <laughs> of animals. But, you know, I like to think it is just for you. <laughs> do you know, I knew, I knew you was going to say that. But... <laughs> No, it's it's not obviously because I no. you know I work yeah, and, and it's not absolutely. all fun. But no. yeah, in a, you know, in a way, I, I mean, I think back about it and I think I was way too young to retire when we came here. We yeah. could, we, we couldn't afford to retire. We were way too young. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, I got given this second chance of a different life, and so in a way, it. You're right. It is a bit like a holiday. It's a little bit like my mum used to say to me, you know, if you find something you love and you get to do that for a job, then you won't ever feel like you work a day in your life because you'll love what you do. I wonder if it's the same thing about where you live. If, you, if you're if you living somewhere that feeds your soul and you just adore it, well, then you'll feel like every day is a holiday in your heart anyway. Yes, I think you're as wise as your mum. I think that's a brilliant way to, to put it. And I totally agree with your mum and I totally agree with you. Yeah. So what does a normal day look like for you? Because <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> sound like one day is the same sure as there, another ever. I'm sure there, I'm not sure there is a normal day really, <laughs> but I get. I guess a, a fairly normal day is I get up 
really early because uh, we have two puppy Labradors, so I have to let them out because they're not quite house trained. They were locked up in a barn 24-7 before we got them, and they have no manners, and they are completely untrained, so it's quite a lot of work. So I get up really early to let them out, and then I like to write quietly on my own mm-hmm. um and i work in a pigsty <laughs> it doesn't look like a pigsty it's a former pigsty which we've renovated the renovated and i use it as a little office yeah yeah so i use it as my office and it's just across the courtyard so i go out and then there's cats waiting on the doorstep for me mm-hmm. when i get up there's either cats in the house or cats on the doorstep the dogs are out then i go and do the cats then i get a cup of tea, go across the courtyard, write for a couple of hours. And I like this time of year because it's always dark when I get up in the morning. You can hear the owls hooting and ch- oh. chickens clucking in the village. And it's just it's just so lovely. Yeah. And then, then I get Mark up. Then I go and deal with the chickens, feed them. Then we walk the dogs. Uh, then I start writing again. So it's pretty much writing all day long for me. So I've got the magazine to write for. I've got the website to write for. I've got a new book to write. And I also do freelance work for magazines and newspapers. But, you know, I I really love writing. So like you say, it's not really a job. It's something I love. Yeah, it's your passion. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Now, I imagine that the department where you live, and you talked about that before when you described the three areas that are close to where you are. I imagine that's your favourite, obviously. If you had to choose another region apart from where you live, you said that you like to go to Brittany. Is it what other part of France do you think you would want to live in if you were not going to be where you are? Oh, that's so hard. I, I think it would definitely be the north because I, I like gardening. We grow as much of our own vegetables and fruit as we possibly can. And so if I moved to the south, I think that would be really, really hard. I've got a friend who lives in the south and mm. she tells me that when it gets really hot in the middle of the summer, she has to put her nightie in the in the freezer <laughs> to oh. cool it down before she goes to bed. So so she, she literally soaks it in water and then puts it in the freezer so it goes rock hard. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine this? Rock hard. And then when she goes to bed, she gets her nightie out and she forces it over her head all stiff and frozen oh. so that she can stay cool at night and that doesn't really appeal to me No, that all. sounds horrendous. Oh, awful. No. <laughs> Not very comfortable yeah, at all. So, well, I mean, you get heat in Australia, I know. Yeah, but, yeah, we do, you know, yeah. But yes, we're kind of but, set up um, for it. People said that to me a lot because I was over. I was in London this year on their hottest day on record and I was leaving London that day to come to Paris and when I arrived in Paris the next day was one of only three days over 40 in Paris ever on record as well and people kept saying to me oh but you're Australian you'd be used to this and I said you know mate over 40 is over 40 wherever you are it's bloody hot you know it doesn't matter where you are in the world if you're over 40 degrees it's going to be hot but the difference is that we're set up for it over here and over there they're not set up for that kind of heat and and we we've got Nearly every place is air conditioned, and you know the, the the buildings are built in a way that they they're not built in the 1600s when the buildings were built to retain heat in their walls so that the heat would you know leave the walls overnight through the night to keep people warm 24 seven. Whereas you know ours have been built in the heat um, for the heat, so it's a little bit different. It's a bit easier for us. But I do think that a nighty in the freezer might be a step too far, even for me. I have these, <laughs> I have these, uh, these little bean bags that have got uh, wheat and lavender in them, and I put them in the freezer, 
And when it's a really hot day, even with aircon in the house, when it's a really hot night, I'll get them out of the freezer and I, I lay them in the bed because they're not like an ice pack that makes the bed wet. They just warm up with your body, but they cool you down enough that you can get to sleep and then, you know, they don't make any kind of mess. They just become warm with your body and you put them back in the freezer the next day and you do it all over again. But it's not a nighty that's, you know, been in that. That's, no, no, I'm not having, I'm not going well, there. I- not going there. I like that idea. That's a good idea. But yeah, I mean, where else would I live? Yes, I love Brittany. Mm-hmm. And if I could, uh, Corsica, I went to Corsica for the first time this year and I absolutely loved it, although it does get a bit hot there, but they have the coast, so not yeah, quite true. so bad. Yeah. So yeah, Corsica, Corsica or Brittany, I think. I've never been to Corsica. Is it more Italian in its mindset and what it looks like than French? Or do you think it, they really see themselves as French? Or do they see themselves as actually Corsican? How do you think that I would they say view themselves? Corsican. Yeah. Corsican. They're, they're, they're heavily influenced by Italy. I mean, Sardinia's just, you know, a yeah. hopper way. Uh, mm. Nice is probably the nearest part, which is also a, a little bit Italian and was Italian before it became French. Yeah. So, yeah, heavily influenced by Italy, but absolutely, most definitely Corsican as a unique entity. And it's absolutely glorious. Definitely recommend you go. Yeah. Can. Oh no, Beautiful I will. Place. I've, yeah. I've heard that it's just wonderful. So yes, it's definitely on my list of places to head to. Now there are a few questions that we ask on almost every episode of the Little Bells Francophiles. The first, and this does not need to include animals unless that's part of your perfect day, but describe for me your perfect French day. Oh, that is hard. A uh, perfect French day. Is every day I have really so, <laughs> but uh, um, it would include a bit of gardening, walking the dogs, going to the coast because we have this glorious coastline mm. and w- with big dunes and great cliffs overlooking the white cliffs of Dover, and I just love to walk along the beach. It's it's amazing here. It's mm. got a very special light. They call it the Opal Coast because it has this opal quality of light. It's very beautiful. Oh, really? Um, lunch in a cafe uh then uh maybe a walk in the countryside on the way home stop off at a bakery and get a cake come mm. home aperitifs with the neighbors preferably without andouillette sausages which they find very amusing to give us with our aperitifs horrible smelly sausages oh i'm dying oh, to yeah. try an andouillette maybe i don't want to try one i thought i might no just say they're an acquired taste right i okay. don't think i will ever acquire it so oh, really? yeah it's like animal innards let's just say and you know if you're getting an, an andouillette as opposed to a saucisson because you smell it that's actually all i'm gonna say on that one i did see on one of rick stein's shows he talked about that and he said you know it before you put it in your mouth he said you can smell it coming he said once it's in once he's eating it he loves the taste he said but you know you've got to almost don't smell it before you eat it because it's awful don't <laughs> you yeah don't don't <laughs> <laughs> I think my I think my perfect day would also include a visit to a market, mm, um, yes. and maybe to a museum. And for a really perfect day that's not home, I would go to Paris because I absolutely love Paris. Yeah, really do. I, I love the culture, the history, the architecture, the whole laissez-faire attitude. You know, mm. it's quite laid back, certainly compared to London. I know Paris yes. isn't laid back compared to the rest of France, but but I, I absolutely love it there. Like this time of year, you know, hot chocolates on the terrace, watching the the leaves whirl down the cobblestone streets. I find the whole thing absolutely impossibly romantic. I really do yes. love it. Oh, I love the way you paint that picture. Yes, yes. 
I know it's not going to be an Andriette, but what's your favourite French food to order in a French restaurant when you're perhaps in Paris or perhaps to, to cook at home, make it home now? Ooh, difficult. Um, I've been to lots of Michelin-style restaurants mm. and I've been to lots of roadside cafes. I like both, but I, I think if I were to pick any restaurant at all, I'd probably just go to my local estaminet. Mm-hmm. And estaminet is a Flemish word. It's a shti word mm-hmm. almost, but Flemish more than anything for uh, a traditional inn. And they have their own types of food here. So they have a, something called pot vliche, which, which I, I actually really hate. It's like three different cold meats and jelly, vile. Yeah. But they also have a stew. <laughs> yeah, not, not nice. Um, they also have a stew called carbonade, which is beef cooked in beer with with sugar, oh. because beer and sugar are two really local products. Huge amounts yes. of sugar grown here, thanks yeah. to I think it was Louis the I can't remember Louis the Fourteenth and Colbert is, when oh. they decided they would start to grow stuff instead of exporting it from other places. Yeah. And um, beer obviously is it's the wine of the north of France, yes. so they cook slow cook with beef, and and also a very a traditional thing here is to then slather it with a. A, a, a slice of gingerbread on oh, top really? so that the gingerbread yeah ah. so the gingerbread spices sort of leach into the stew absolutely delicious so that would be my favorite everest food and for cooking uh, my neighbor claudette taught me how to to make the most amazing decadent brown sugar pan perdu so stale bread eggy mm. or eggy bread we'd call it i think yeah. in english we call it so french toast perdue. i think french toast in oh, well, french toast mm. yeah so cooked in butter and egg and then just loads of brown sugar and a spoonful of rum. Really, really simple, but absolutely what, irresistible. Yes. And what do they call that there? Pain perdu. Oh, pain so perdu. lost bread. Lost bread. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds beautiful. Do you have that it often? Is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, yes, she says. About, yeah. to, about to head out uh, and cook some now. That's why I have to walk the dogs three times yeah. a day. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, do you listen to French music much? I do. Um, I listen to um, a, a French music show called Paris Chanson. Oh. Um, yeah, it's run by a, a man called Olivier Geoffrey, and he is like a specialist in old French music. I really like old French music, mm. like Charles oh, Trenet. You know, songs like that from the 40s, 50s, 60s. It's really fun because they call uh, music from the 60s, they call yeah, yeah music. Oh, really? So, you know, like the Beatles, she loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they call it yeah, yeah music. So (laughs) Love it. It's crazy. Yeah, I love that. So, So he has a really great, not a podcast, but an an online radio show. Yeah. If anyone's interested, parischanson.fr. And he plays oh. music 24 hours a day, so I quite often listen to that when I'm working. But yeah. I, I also like some of the more modern music. So one of my favourite songs at the moment, it's quite a couple of years old, but it's called La Dernière Dance by a lady called Indilla. And it's just, it's really quirky and it's it's a really beautiful romantic song. And it reminds me a bit of the film Amelie, which is one of my favourite films, yes. in its sort of quirkiness. It's a lovely, lovely tune, yeah. Oh, we might add that one to the Frenchie Spotify playlist, I think, and I will put the link to that uh, French music radio show on the Little Bells Francophiles website because there are ways for us to connect to French music from Australia. I know my dad and I, we put it on when we're gardening 
at his place and and he and I will both, you know, sing along and hum together and he's fluent in French so we both kind of, you know, we quite like that and we'll just potter around and garden all day. He lives up in the bush so it's quite lovely to do that with the French music in the background. It seems quite bizarre to be doing that when he does get kangaroos on the lawn and kookaburras on the edge of the guttering of the house and then we've got the French music playing with all the Australian animals and we're right in the middle of the bush but it's quite lovely. It's a really calming kind of atmosphere for us. Oh, I've definitely got this image in my head of kangaroos listening to French music. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, there was a wombat going across the lawn a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so there's a few <laughs> where you're native animals. But, yeah, the sounds of the French music kind of, you know, sing out over the, the bush and across the little lake that he's got there. It's quite tranquil. It's lovely. I have just really loved hearing about your French life because it intrigues me to hear from different people from all different parts of France about how they actually live. You know, when you travel somewhere and you get to see all the sites and you go to all of the touristy things and what I always crave is to know, but who lives in that little house? Who? What, what's that life like in that little, through that window? You know, I, I really want to know what is it that makes this place tick and who are these people that are here? And hearing about your world now, the way you paint those people, pictures with the way you know your day is and and how you live it's really satisfied a little bit of intrigue in me and I've loved the little window into the way the Flemish influence takes hold in that top northern corner of France I had no idea and about the shti so thank you and merci beaucoup for spending this time with us today Janine Marsh and sharing your quite amazing and wonderful French story with us I've just loved it Thank you so much. I, I have to say, I mean, I can talk the hind legs off a donkey, as we say, but it's been a <laughs> fantastic chance to chat to you. Thank you so much for having yes. me on the show. I really appreciate it. It has been a lovely chance to chat. And I have to just say that being another crazy cat lady and also, <laughs> you know, the way that you talk about how you say everywhere you would go, oh, I, th- I love this, one. I could live here and, oh, I, I think I want to live there and, if my husband ever meets your husband, he will be saying, oh, my God, lose like that. Every time. Everywhere I go, oh, look, we could buy this little house and we could move here tomorrow and, you know, and I'm out the door and that's where we're staying forever And because I love everywhere. I love it all. It's Me too. It's, yeah. it's terrible, really. But No, it's, it's not. not. It's really. because we're enthusiastic and we love life and we're open yeah. to options and we're open to new adventures. That's what it is. That's what I tell myself. Yeah, <laughs> and I think in some ways we're dreamers and if you stop dreaming, what a sad way that would be to live. I think. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with dreams and sometimes dreams do come true. Absolutely. And they won't unless you actually put something in place to help it happen. So (laughs) I love that you're actually doing that. Even though perhaps you didn't know this was your dream, it's turned out to be a dream. (laughs) You know, sometimes your dream comes up and bites you on the bum when you least (laughs) expected it. Alors, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Lulu Bell's Francophiles episode. I hope that you're enjoying being transported to France via our podcast chats with some brilliant guests and their French stories. To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Lulu Bell's Francophiles on Insta. That's where you will also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Lulu Bell's Francophiles guests. You can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep your Frenchy vibes going. Now, for all the links from today's chat, including Janine's links and her fave music and 
I think we'll put that reset. It might be hard to find, but we'll get her reset on the Ludabelle's Francophiles website as well. Head to blog post number 83. The Ludabelle's website link is in the show notes for today's episode as well. Come and join me next time on the Ludabelle's Francophiles and together we can stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir et merci encore, Janine. Au revoir. Au revoir de moi, Louise Prichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt, mes amis.